together this morning. Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 here in just a minute. I was talking to my dad on the phone earlier this week, and uh, I said, Dad, the passage that I'm getting ready to preach this week, there's several things in it that are really confusing to me. I've looked at a lot of different resources, a lot of different commentaries. I'm not exactly sure. There's a couple of things in these passages that are really confusing to me. I'm, I'm not exactly positive yet what I'm going to say on a couple of these points. And I'm kind of tired of looking into it and studying it. And he said, well, that's what you get when you preach expository sermons. Uh, so I thought, okay, thanks. That's a lot of help. Um, my dad preaches expository sermons. He, he is totally um, in favor of what we're doing here. Um, and, and if you're new or, or relatively new with us, what we do is we take books of the Bible, for the most part on Sunday mornings. Occasionally I'll preach a topically oriented sermon. But for the most part, what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we study it together. And it's called expository preaching. And, and that word, you can kind of understand what the word means just by listening to the word. Expository means exposing. Like we're, we're taking, I always think of it as a suitcase that, that like you're opening and taking all the stuff out. And we come to a passage of scripture and we're opening up our Bibles and we're trying to take all the stuff out. And I, I want to explain things as we walk through a passage of scripture and then apply things to you in such a way that as you read the passage of scripture, you're going, yep, I see it. Yep, I see it. Because good preaching actually teaches you how to be good Bible students. If I stand up here Sunday after Sunday and you go, wow, that was amazing, which no one does. Wow, that was amazing. I have no idea where he got that, but boy, that's, that, then I'm doing a bad job preaching. If you respond with, I have no idea where he got that. I mean, it's true, and he's a really entertaining speaker, but where, did, where in this passage did he get that? Then I'm doing a bad job as a preacher. But as I unpack the scriptures, if you go, yep, I see that, and maybe I didn't know that historical fact, or maybe I didn't know how that truth fit in with other biblical truths, there may be some things that I didn't understand, but as he has explained it to me, now it makes sense. I understand this passage of scripture better than I did before. That's good preaching. Now, I hope that most of the time that's what I do. There are a lot of great preachers out there for you to listen to that do that well who expose the teaching of the Word of God to us. And so we are, you know, we're 18 and a half chapters into a 28-chapter book, and we are looking at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is explaining to us, it's, uh, it's unfolding for us, it's showing us the advance of the gospel right here in the early Christian world, right after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to look at the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19. But before we do, let me ask you a few questions. This morning, the title of this morning's sermon actually, and I may have messed it up on, the, um, on what I gave to Jay, but I, I think he actually corrected it thinking that this was the right title. The title this morning should be Baptisms with an S on the end. Okay, So if you're writing your notes down there this morning, don't write down baptism. Write down baptisms. Thank you. Wow, look at that auto. Man, he fixed it like that. Should you, don't answer out loud, should you baptize children? Should you baptize children in order to save them? Or should you baptize children to show that they're part of the covenant community? Can you baptize someone by sprinkling? Can you baptize someone by pouring? I'm not making this up. Literally, this morning, 30 minutes before Sunday school, a pastor friend of mine called me and said, I have someone who's been coming to my church. They were baptized in this other denomination with this other mode of baptism. What do you think I should do? Next question. Do you baptize adults so that they can be saved? Do you, do you baptize adults to demonstrate that they are saved? Should you seek baptism in the Spirit after you've been baptized in the water? Are you baptized in the Spirit 
when you're baptized in the water? Are you baptized in the Spirit before you're baptized in the water? What is the baptism of John? You know what I'm talking about? Talks in the New Testament about the baptism of John. What is the baptism of John? And is it something different than the baptism of Jesus Christ? Being baptized in Jesus' name. Is that different than being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Now, you may listen to that list of questions and think, that those are easy questions. I don't know why that's hard for you, why those questions are hard for you, but we've got that, Jeremy. But I think there may be a handful of us in here who, when presented with that full list of questions, there are some of those questions that you're like, I know the answer to that one. That one's easy. But then there might be some others that are maybe a little less clear. And I think the passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to help us gain some clarity on a topic that can be very confusing. So today, I hope that we can bring some clarity about baptism, that we will be necessarily convicted about baptism, and that we can be comforted by baptism. Okay? Clarity, conviction, and comfort as we study the topic of baptism. That's not, that's not my outline, by the way. That's just something that I hope will happen as we go through it. Here's my main point this morning. Your understanding of and your experience of baptism says a lot about your walk with Christ. Your understanding of and your experience of baptism says a lot about your walk with Christ. And I'm not, I didn't make that up. That's not like Jeremy's ideas. We're going to see that very clearly in the stories that we're going to look at together in Acts 18 and 19 this morning. So you have your Bibles open to Acts, Acts 18 and 19. And now we looked at Acts 18 verses 24 through 28 last week, and we looked at Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. This morning, I want us to look at the story of Apollos through the lens of baptism. And then in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 19, I want us to look at the, the, uh, the, that story through the lens of baptism. Okay? 24. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Really interesting phrase to get thrown in there. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. You remember he went to the synagogue and he's teaching. But when Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he was for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, and I, I wish I'd, I should have provided a map on the screen for you to look at. You can look at your, the maps in the back of your Bible later, but you, you, um, Paul and Apollos are kind of almost rotating around each other as they're moving through the Middle East at this time. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came up to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We're going to find out in a minute that there were, ironically, 12 approximately of these disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, those disciples on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, 
and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Father, please help me now and help us now as we look into your word to see what we need to see and feel what we need to feel and respond the way that we need to respond. Please, God, would you please do this for us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, remember, I said the main point was your understanding and experience of baptism says a lot about your walk with Christ. And you see how both Apollos and these 12 men are being evaluated through the lens of baptism. Priscilla and Aquila are listening to Apollos' teaching, and the only thing, the only hint that we get at the end of Acts chapter 18 that something is maybe a little uninformed is that he has only known the baptism of John. And then as Paul is evaluating these disciples, these learners, he's asking them, what have you been baptized into? Oh, you need to be baptized in to Jesus. So, so the evaluation of Apollos and these 12 people, are being, the evaluation, interestingly, is being done through the lens of baptism. And so your genuine walk with Christ, I think, one way, not the only way, but one way that you can even consider your own walk with Christ is through this lens of baptism. And if you are afraid either this morning or even as I've walked through the book of Acts that I'm overemphasizing the, the concept of baptism, I'm only doing it when the book of Acts does it. Remember, we're just preaching through the book of Acts. Acts mentions baptism 27 times in 28 chapters. It's mentioned 27 times in 14 accounts of baptism. Okay, So, so we're not giving too much attention to it. We're just going to give biblical attention to it. So first of all, let's look at Apollos' baptism experience. Point number one, Apollos' baptism experience. And here, Apollos is described as someone who only knew the baptism of John. Now, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, he's a cool character, right? I mean, there's just a lot that really intrigues me about John the Baptist. I have a feeling I would have really liked him or or really not liked him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think John the Baptist um, is, is a... Um, a very, what's the word, a moderate kind of person, right? I get the sense that he is a thundering prophet of the Lord. We get a crazy description of him, right? Wearing rough garments, camel hair. He eats eating locusts and wild honey. He's a man of the wilderness. John the Baptist is called the Baptist, and why? Is, is John the Baptist the first Baptist of the Baptist denomination, the answer to that question is no, he is not, okay? There, there are some who have done revisionist history work and tried to articulate that John the Baptist was the founding Baptist of the modern-day Baptist movement, okay? That's historically untenable and irresponsible. That, that he, he, we call him John the Baptist because he was baptizing people. John the Baptizer. People who knew John and lived it during his day didn't call him the Baptist, right? He was a prophet. His name was John. And John's an interesting character. He can be a little bit confusing to us because we read about him in the New Testament. And the reason that that's confusing, some of you who are a little bit more Bible scholar, academic type, you're going to enjoy some of this this morning. All of you will enjoy this this morning. We, we're confused about it because we read about John in the New Testament, but John really is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John is an Old Testament dude more than he is a New Testament dude. It's just that we're reading about him and his work in the New Testament. He's actually the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he comes, and what, what is the job that he's given to do? He is to, to call forth to the Jewish people, repent and get ready, make, way, make straight the path because the Messiah is coming. He doesn't proclaim the Messiah, not yet. The Messiah has come, 
He, he does get to that point, right, where he, he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But his initial prophetic ministry is one of saying, Get ready, Jews, Israel, we have been living in sin. We have chased false gods. We have done so many wicked things. Repent. Repent and come and be baptized. And this baptism represents a cleansing that we as Israel need. So come into the Jordan River. Come into the waters of, 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 of baptism and be cleansed from our sins. And let's get ready for the coming Messiah. That's the work that John the Baptist is doing. And I think a lot of us either forget that or we didn't know that. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so we need to realize that the baptism that John is performing is primarily um, is a baptism of a call to repentance. Come into the waters of, uh, of, um, of cleansing. It, and again, the water didn't actually wash their souls from sin. The water was representative of, I need to be made clean before the Lord. I have, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I am repenting. And my repentance is going to demonstrate itself by this act of obedience. So this, this is the, the, the baptism. He's calling the Jewish people to repent of their wicked lives and to be baptized. Jesus Christ has not yet revealed himself or done his saving work. Now, this is, this is early in the Gospels, okay? Here in Acts, I'm not, I'm not talking about Acts 18 and 19. Luke chapter 3, verse 15 John was baptizing, but he was telling them that Jesus was coming. Luke 3, 15, And as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might not be the Christ. So people originally thought that John was the Messiah. Luke 3, 16, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, when Apollos shows up here in Ephesus, and he's teaching, he's an eloquent man, and he's competent in the Scriptures, and he is teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew, or, or we can take away from this phrase, he only understood the baptism of John. And it seems as though here Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and explain things to him more fully. And I think I mentioned this last week. There are some commentators who read this and they would say Apollos actually wasn't a believer yet. And Priscilla and Aquila came and explained the gospel to him. And that's when he became a Christian so on and so forth. And, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think the fact that he's teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit and he's a man competent in the scriptures um, and there isn't, there isn't, well, I'll get to that in a second. I think that Apollos is, is actually a man who's believing in Jesus as the Messiah, um, even when he shows up here in Ephesus. We see here that Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and explain things to him more fully. And remember that in this context, it's the, the, the gospel is, is doing powerful work in Ephesus. And we see that one of the powerful things the gospel is doing is it's growing it's growing Christians. It's growing Apollo. So they explained to him that the rite of baptism that John was proclaiming is the same rite that Jesus' disciples now are calling people to repent and believe and be baptized. It's the same rite but the, or, or action. But John the Baptist was doing it in anticipation, looking forward to Christ, and, the, and now those who are being baptized are looking back in faith to Christ who has come. Understand? It's the same physical thing, but its meaning has grown when Christ came, died, and rose again. And so Paul, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila explain this to him. They explain that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah. While, Christ's, while Christian baptism is a baptism that looks back to the finished work of Christ on the cross and his victorious resurrection. John's baptism was on the pre-side of Calvary, and Christian baptism is on the post-side of Calvary. Okay? Now, 
same right, but being used to identify people with the Messiah. And so they explained this to him. And interestingly, it's not recorded uh, if Apollos was baptized again or not. I'm inclined to think that he was not baptized again because there isn't any explanation or record of it. And we're going to look here in just a moment, the next section of people who do get baptized um, again for, for, for good reason, for, for different reasons, okay? And, and hang with me. We're, we're, we're moving somewhere with all of this. So it's not recorded, as I said, it's not recorded that Apollos was then baptized again. Um, and that might be slightly confusing to us. And this is one of those sections where, again, you're going to read different books, different authors are going to say different things as to whether or not Apollos was a Christian before this and whether or not uh, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine as I was walking through this passage. I was even talking with him about it last week. And he said, oh, yeah, I think Apollos was baptized again because I think he was. <laughs> and I think, okay, well, uh, I don't have anything to base that on. So I, And this is one of those times where... You know, you're looking at Scripture, and good people might disagree a little bit. Uh, I'm inclined to think that he wasn't, but that his understanding of the gospel and his understanding of baptism were, were though they were incomplete, they were accurate to the point that he understood. And so he just needed further uh, clarification and teaching. Now, the one thing, and I forgot to mention this earlier, one thing that we have to remember is this is a really unique time in history that we don't live in. The people are transitioning from Old Testament worship of God, and in these years, the Messiah has come, and He has lived and died and raised, and now things are being explained. That, like the Messiah that we've been looking forward to all these years, He came. Jesus is He, and He is raised, and He is the one that we are calling you to believe in and follow and worship and come and now be baptized as a follower of Him. So, so these, the, the generation that lived during and through this time is living during a time that we can't recreate. We, we are clearly thousands of years on the post side of Christ's work on the cross. So what, what Apollos needed was not salvation. He needed sanctification. He needed Christian growth. And if you're a follower of Christ, you and I need sanctification. We need instruction. We need to grow in theological knowledge, whether it's regarding baptism or whatever the issue might be. And so I love the fact that here we see a competent, powerful, eloquent man who is growing in his understanding of something very important in the concept of baptism. So there's Apollos' baptism. Let's look secondly now in chapter 19 at the baptism of these other men. Look again, I'm going to read just quickly through these verses again. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland, came to Ephesus, right? So Apollos has just left Ephesus. Paul comes to Ephesus, Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And that word disciples, when we hear the word disciples, we immediately think of the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, the men that followed our Lord most closely while he was here on the earth. But the word disciple most simply just means learner or follower. These were men who were religious learners. They were religious followers. And he said to them, Paul said to them, he asked them a question, and there must have been something that happened that prompted this question. There was their behavior or their lack of understanding or something where Paul stops and evaluates and says to them, did it's almost like he could see that they didn't have the Holy Spirit, right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And he then asks a follow-up question, which is an interesting question to us. This is not how we question people. And to what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, but he was telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And we, we do get to hear how Paul clarifies for these disciples their understanding of baptism. It, 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 Paul, or, uh, John was baptizing 
with baptism of repentance, but he was pointing people forward to the one who was to come, that is Jesus. And when these disciples heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on him, they received the Holy Spirit. So Paul has some reason to ask them, why did you receive the, or did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they say, we never heard of him. And then he asks that surprising question, into what were you baptized? What was it about their Christian life that made Paul track this way with them? We're not exactly told. But maybe, maybe there was something about their lives that gave the indication that they weren't really true followers of Jesus Christ. Or there wasn't, there wasn't the power in their life that the Holy Spirit brings to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes this, this path of questioning them. And they, they say that they were baptized in John's baptism. But these guys, it becomes clear that these guys aren't like Apollos. Remember, Apollos comes to Ephesus and he's teaching accurately the things about Jesus. These guys, they don't know that there is a Holy Spirit. And they've never heard that John's baptism was pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And it, would, it, 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 it seems as though, and again, I have to say it seems as though because there's just some, there's some holes, that, some details that we aren't given that we have to kind of try to flesh out a little bit. It seems as though these guys must have heard either from John directly or second or third or fourth hand, there's a man who's a prophet, a, an, Israelite, an Israelite prophet, and he is saying, repent and be baptized for our sins. And these men must have seen, hey, what we've, what we've heard that this John guy is about, we need to repent and we need to be baptized. And, and it's, we would probably call these guys today, in our experience, we would call them seekers, right? Like they're, they're learners, they're followers. They're, a friend of mine puts it this way, they were leaning in, right? Like they, they had their face against the glass, like, hey, what's going on? What's going on in there? We want to know, we, want, we, we, we desire to learn more about this. And so Paul um, th- these men aren't clear on who Jesus is like Apollos was. They obviously aren't empowered by the Spirit like Apollos was. And so Paul explains that John was preparing for the Messiah. He explains the gospel to them. And they, I mean, the, the, the way the passage has it laid out, immediately on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And oh, the Messiah, Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, we're in. That, that's all it took. We heard, we believe, and, and now we want to follow with baptism. He explains the gospel. And this is the only instance in the Bible that, that I'm aware of where someone is quote unquote rebaptized. It seems as though they had been baptized with the baptism of John, and here now they are being. Re, rebaptized, and, and we have to be careful not to build some kind of theology on baptism or rebaptism based solely on this passage alone. And yet, we do see that whatever these men knew, they hadn't yet been genuinely converted. They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, again, I am kind of drawing a little bit of a distinction. Apollos knew who Jesus was and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and there's no record that he was baptized. These men did not know who Jesus was, had not put faith in Christ as the Messiah, and when they do that, then they are, quote-unquote, rebaptized, or you might just say baptized according to the, the, Christian, um, uh, the, the Christian way, the Christian model, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, again, what's up with these guys? Again, I, I think I've already said this. Commentators generally agree that these guys were interested, but they weren't yet followers of Christ. And God worked in them to draw them in. They must have been told about John and his baptism, maybe by someone who had heard second or third hand. They, these men, remember we said Apollos needed sanctification? These men needed salvation. And they got it. They put faith in Jesus. And then they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, we see throughout the New Testament, baptism follows conversion. So 
just to answer the questions we mentioned earlier, so we don't baptize infants or unbelievers. We baptize believers, and we could walk through. I could walk you through a lot of different passages that teach that very clearly. So we've looked at Apollos' baptism, and we've looked at the twelve disciples' baptism experience. But there's one more person's baptism experience or baptism understanding that I want to talk about this morning, and that's yours. Okay, so point number three, let's talk for a minute about your baptism experience. Now, we aren't baptized into the baptism of John anymore. You might, you might read through there and be confused and think, uh, you know, is, uh, am I supposed to be baptized in, by John in, in baptism of repentance? And then there's baptism, the, the New Testament formula, the Christian formula, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that the, that the disciples are doing here after, um, after the resurrection of Christ. Well, no, we, we aren't baptized in the baptism of John. He was an Old Testament prophet making the way of the Lord. We are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism is to accompany saving faith. In fact, in fact baptism and saving faith are so closely associated with each other in the New Testament that it's easy to confuse the, the idea that, well, maybe baptism is necessary for salvation. Maybe, maybe I have to be baptized. And there are some Christian denominations and Christian people who teach that baptism is a necessary act in order to truly be converted. I'm going to try to explain to you from the Scriptures this morning why I don't believe that is the case. But there, before I do that, there is not an instance of someone being baptized as a child. There is not an instance of someone being baptized who doesn't understand the gospel. The word, the word baptize means to dip or to plunge. There's no biblical example of someone being baptized any other way than actually being, to put it crassly, dunked. <laughs> The, the, the much more dignified word is to say immersed, right? To be immersed fully under the water. It's, it is the picture of death, burial, and resurrection with our Lord Christ. But does baptism, but does baptism actually save us? And, and I'm going to give you several different passages of Scripture. I want you to at least write them down, but if you want, I'll, I'll, we're going to move slowly. We've got a few minutes here, and this is an important thing for us to really have nailed down. Does baptism save you? In what sense is baptism uh, a necessary part of salvation uh, or not? Well, let me, let me start by giving you several passages of Scripture that I think make it abundantly clear that faith in Jesus Christ is the only necessary thing for salvation. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm letting you know my conclusion from the get-go. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. One is justified, and how is one justified? By faith. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, how? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. Okay. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever, what? believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life acts 13 verse 38 now here is where i uh, no sorry acts 13:38 through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him jesus everyone who believes is freed from everything 
from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So again, even in the book of Acts, um, it's clear that it is, it is belief in Jesus Christ that justifies us. Justification, your justification happens at the point of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul treats baptism as an expression of faith. So that the decisive act is faith, and that act is expressed outwardly by baptism. So as I explain clearly to you that your justification happens by faith alone in Christ alone, what can sometimes happen amongst even good Baptists is that we actually undermine and undervalue the true significance and importance of baptism. You see, there, there is no example, there is no model for believers not being baptized, except which one? There's one. There is one person who we are assured is with Christ, and yet there's no example, the thief on the cross. Right. We have to be careful with the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is at a unique moment and a unique time and an even unique circumstances in, in human history. The thief on the cross is told, today you will be with me in paradise. By whom? Jesus. Has Jesus died yet? So like where in salvation history is the thief on the cross? Well, I mean, technically he's pre the cross work of Christ. This is like if this is confusing to you, it's because it's confusing. What I want to say is this: the the example in the thief of the cross does I, I do I do think it does at least help us understand that that baptism is not an absolute must for salvation and justification. I want to be careful building any further theology of baptism on that one example. There's a lot of, there's, there would be a lot of danger in doing so. Every other example, now, and again, we could, you, someone could argue, well, he doesn't have to be baptized because he's, pre, he's pre-New Testament baptism. I actually think there might be some truth there, okay? After Christ has done his saving work on the cross and been raised again, every example, as we walk through the book of Acts, those who believed are they are baptized. It, it, there, there is not in the Christian understanding this, well, maybe I'll do that. It is the first obedient act. Acts, now, let me explain a couple other passages here. Um, Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 is one of those passages that those who believe that you need to be baptized in order to be saved would appeal to, right? You've been buried with him and baptized uh, in baptism in which you also were raised, but it says raised with him through faith, through faith. It is through faith that you are saved. Baptism is the outward expression of that inward reality. Acts 22, verse 16, a passage that's even more, if it was the only verse we had, It'd be confusing. Acts twenty two sixteen, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, if that was the only verse that we had, that might be a little bit confusing, right? Rise and be baptized wash, wash, and wash away your sins. And it's almost, like, it's almost like we can see that Luke understands what he's saying and says, calling on his name. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There's that expression of belief in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Ooh. It says it. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God 
for a good conscience. Again, we're pointed back to the appeal, the faith, the, the calling upon the belief in Christ. It's the call of faith from the heart. And baptism signifies that faith which saves us. In Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If this was the only verse in the Bible about baptism and salvation, I would stand in front of you and say, you must be baptized in order to be forgiven of your sins. If this was the only verse we had, look at it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, what we do, though, what we do have is a lot of other passages of Scripture. And one of the best commentaries on Scripture is Scripture. And so I don't have this verse alone in isolation. I have this verse along with scores of other verses, many of which we've looked at already here this morning, that make it abundantly clear that it is my heart's appeal through faith to Christ that saves me. And I think a good way, I, I, I believe, and, and Pastor John MacArthur, or, uh, uh, John Piper has helped me tremendously um, in, 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 uh, with an illustration that helps me understand this verse. So, because this looks like repent and be baptized and you'll be forgiven. Piper uses this illustration. He says, if you were, if you were getting ready to, to uh, get on an airplane and fly from Amarillo to Dallas, and we got to talking, and all of a sudden, I realized, oh, man, like, your plane, your plane leaves in just, like, an hour. And I would say this, hurry, grab your suitcase and run. Now, grab your suitcase isn't what gets you on the plane. Grabbing your suitcase isn't the decisive thing. G- grabbing, your suit- grabbing your suitcase is an accompanying act, but it is not a causative act. Again, this will not satisfy all of you, but I think for many of us in here, as we look at this verse, I think this is a very helpful way to think through in light of all the other scriptures that we have when we understand that, that, that Paul is saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And I think it's like me saying, Levi, grab your suitcase and run. What's going to get him there? It's the running that gets him there. I have reasons for telling him to grab his suitcase that maybe he doesn't even fully understand yet. And yet, the, the act of grabbing the suitcase is an accompanying act rather than a causative act. Now, there may be a handful of you in here this morning who think, I've heard all this before. I believe all this. I could have taught it just as well. This is a little bit boring. But I just want to assure you that there are a number of people in here this morning that are paying very careful attention. I appreciate that. I appreciate the humility and the, the stick-to-itiveness that many of you um, have given because I'm, I'm certain, and there's not one or two or three. There, there's, there's a significant number of people in here this morning. I know your story. I know where you're coming from. I know you well enough to know that you want to know what the Bible teaches about this. This is what the Bible teaches about this. So baptism is not, the big fancy word is salvific. It doesn't save. It's not what saves us. But it is the first and immediate heartfelt uh, step that a believer takes when they are ready to say, yeah, I, I want to publicly identify and testify that I'm a follower of the king and my life has been killed. I've, I've died and been buried with him and now I am raised to walk, as we say, in newness of life. Like that Outward expression is the reality of what's going on inside of me. There, there are only bad reasons not to get baptized. And I realize some, you know, again, my, my, uh, my friend who called me this morning and said, hey, this person was, was baptized in another denomination by a different mode. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a complicating conversation, right? That's, a, that's an extended conversation to have with someone. You know, someone says, I was baptized in this other kind of church, this other denomination, 
as a child or even as an adult, and I was baptized with this mode, and it wasn't, it wasn't you know, immersion, that sort of thing. Those, we could, those are complicating factors. I get it. But to the person who just says, I don't want to, there's only bad reasons not to be baptized. The most serious is that you're unconverted. The second would be just pride. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. And the third, at least the, the reasons that I can come up with, is A, you're not converted, B, is pride, and C, is fear. And, and brothers and sisters, if there are those in here who, for any of those reasons, you just think, oh, man, I, 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 please come and talk with me or someone about those things. Baptism is, is important. And your, your um, how did I say it in, the, in my opening? Your understanding of and experience of baptism really does say a lot about your understanding of the gospel. Um, saved people don't go unbaptized. It doesn't save. I, I, I'll say it this way. Baptism does not save, but it is an essential, an absolutely essential first step of obedience. So that is, that is Christian baptism, New Testament baptism. It is an outward expression of an inward reality. Um. Now, there's a third question here, a third thing happening in this, in this passage, and I'm just going to address it very briefly, right? So we see John's baptism is referred to both with Apollos and the disciples here, and then we see that Christian baptism in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus is administered to these disciples here. But there's one more kind of baptism that's happening in this passage. What is it? Yeah, the baptism. We call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, this needs its own specific sermon, but I'm, I'm going I'm to explain to you what our church believes in, on this topic, that the Holy Spirit is given to believers upon conversion. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that converts, and you are given the Holy Spirit upon conversion. And therefore, there isn't the need to be seeking some sort of second blessing or some kind of baptism in the Spirit after you've been converted. Again, as we read through the book of Acts, there are some unique things happening at unique times. Even the gifting of the Holy Spirit, uh, or excuse me, the, the gifting of tongues and prophesying, those, those gifts uh, seem to be accompanying the front line advance of the gospel throughout the world. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait to comment. On, I, I've made comments about that in the past, and I'll, I'll wait to comment on that more in the future. But the, to su- suffice it for this morning, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? When, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, And so... Um, so I realize there's arguments about, well, sealing of the Holy Spirit is different than baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, and those are conversations that good Christians disagree upon. Um, and, and, and brothers and sisters, please understand that those who may hold slightly different positions even than we hold as a church um, here this morning, uh, it doesn't mean that we you know, can't fellowship with them. If they're saying, look, salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, um, but the baptism of the Spirit is something that needs to be sought um, as a second sort of blessing. That doesn't mean that they're going to hell or that we can't have sweet Christian fellowship with them, okay? It just means they're wrong. But you're wrong about stuff too. And I'm wrong about stuff too, okay? We're just doing our best, right? We're doing our best to understand the Scriptures as, as best and as clearly as we can, okay? And throughout the New Testament, we see that the Spirit is given um, to us upon uh, uh, our belief uh, and our conversion, okay? So, so today... At the beginning, I said, I hope we can gain some clarity about baptism, and I, I hope we've done that. The kind of baptism that we do during this New Testament church era is baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and it does not save them. Dunking your body under the water and bringing you up does nothing to change you. In fact, in our baptistry, you may come out dirtier than you went in. I'm just kidding. Levi's the most recent one to have stirred the baptismal waters. He came out no worse for wear anyway. All right? We don't baptize in the name of John anymore. We don't baptize people who are unbelievers. We don't baptize children. We baptize those who have professed faith in Christ. And this outward expression is just, is just immediately linked to your expression of faith in Christ. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens upon conversion. These are the things that we believe the Scriptures teach clearly, and these are the things that we hold to. If you believe differently in here this morning, I invite you. I'd love to have conversation with you about these things. Um, uh, and if you have not yet been baptized and you think, I, 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 the, the Lord is knocking on the door of my heart, and I know that I need to be obedient. Um, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'll tell people who are disobeying God in one area and expecting his obedience in another area. The Bible says that God resists the proud, that God does not hear the prayer of those who walk in disobedience to him, right? So like if there's known unconfessed sin and then I'm praying, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, like God has told us in his word, no, no, I want you to get the thing that I've already got my finger on in your life. I want you to get that right first. That's right. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lovingly stiff arm you, right? It's like the parent who says, no, I'm not going to bless you until you go clean your room or whatever. The, do the thing I've already made clear that I want you to do first. And so there may be some in here this morning who know that's, that's for you. That's your thing, okay? So I hope we gain some clarity. I hope we gain some conviction. And I hope you gain some comfort ab- uh, about baptism this morning as well. So if you are here this morning and you've never turned and put faith in Christ as your Savior, as the Messiah, repent and believe the gospel and, and put your faith on display to others by being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then live your life powerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit who baptizes us upon our conversion. Okay, Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And then uh, we are going to close with a concluding song. So music team, feel free to come and and get in place even now. We'll close with a song. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, please come. uh, You don't have to come and talk to me. You can simply right there express your repentance of sin and your faith in Christ for your justification. If you've never been baptized and you know you need to be, um, please come and talk with me or one of our leaders about that if you are confused about your baptism. I've met people before who, who were baptized even in a Christian way, but it was when they were very young, and then they think maybe they were saved later in life, and they're not sure if they need to be baptized again. Look, I get it. Uh, that's my personal story. I was baptized at a very early age. And when I was 12 is when I really believe I came to faith in Christ. And then I was actually baptized after I was 12 again. Um, you know, so there are confusing circumstances to all of this. I'm not saying that, that I'll have all the answers, but I'd love to visit with you about that. For the rest of us, though, let's take comfort not in the fact that we have been baptized, but what that baptism represents, faith in Jesus Christ. And let's live in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Father, if there are those here this morning who have been unnerved by what we've covered, I pray that your spirit would draw them, that they would see either their need of salvation or their need of baptism. And Lord, for those in here who do have an accurate understanding of these things, I pray that they would be more equipped than ever now to explain and to defend the New Testament teaching on these concepts uh, regarding baptism. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll conclude our service together this morning with a song. Oh, praise God of highest heaven, occupy my Lord.